Section 6 of Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. 6. Morrison said, Murder is a harsh word, Durham. After all, they weren't human. There's no difference under Federation law. We're not under Federation law here. No, and you're engaged in a life-or-death struggle to make sure you don't come under it. This happened to be one of the death parts. Morrison looked at him in mild surprise. You figured that out, Durham? He was a lean, gray, kindly-looking man, the conventional father type. Susan was staring at him in blank horror, as though she could not believe what she was hearing. I wasn't told you were that bright. Well, you're right. Universal Minerals and its various dummy corporations in the subsector are making such profits that you wouldn't believe it if I told you, and we have no intention of giving it up. Even if you have to slaughter a whole ship's crew. What did you do? Tow an asteroid into position? Morrison shrugged. Special debris is not uncommon. You could have killed us too, you know. Durham said angrily. You could have killed her. Hawtrey wouldn't have liked that. It was a risk we had to take. It was a reasonably small one. He looked Durham up and down. You made us one whale of a mess of trouble. My yacht wasn't a good bit faster than Jub's ship. We'd have been whipped. What happened to you? Why didn't you talk like you were supposed to? You'd die laughing. I can control my emotions. Go ahead. Durham told him. Virtue, he finished sourly is sure enough its own reward. I should have stayed drunk. I was happier that way. What happened to the Wanbecks? Morrison was still laughing. They had not come to when their taxi reached the terminus. The port police picked them up. He took a bottle out of a locker and pushed it and a glass across the cabin table to Durham. Here, you've earned it. Wait till I tell Hawtrey. And she was so sure of you. Just goes to show you can't trust anybody. Susan said, But why? Shock was making her mind move slowly. It was a minute before they realized she was referring to the Senyan ship. She asked, very slowly, It's true about my father? I'm afraid it is, said Morrison. But I wouldn't worry about it too much. He's a very rich man. He's also a shrewd one, and it looks now as though he's going to be all right. Give her a drink, Durham. She needs it. Would you like to lie down, Miss Hawtrey? All right, then. I'll tell you why. He leaned over her with no look of kindness at all. Get this all clearly in mind, Miss Hawtrey. So you'll understand that if at any time you try to hang me, you'll hang your father, too. 
We're partners, equally guilty. You understand that. Yes, she said. She looked so white the Durham was frightened, but she sat quietly and listened. For years now, Morrison said, I have managed the company here, and Hawtrey has used his position with the embassy to see that I have a free hand. He sees that no complaints get to ears higher up. He sees that any annoying red tape is taken care of. Most important of all, he sees that any official communications from either of the Deeks that might be unfavorable to us is permanently lost in the files, including all requests for aid in achieving Federation status. Our connection, naturally, is one of the best-kept secrets in the galaxy. We had very easy sailing until Jubb rose to power on Senya Deke. Jubb is an able leader. He knows what's happening to the resources of the sector, and he knows the only way to put a stop to it. Unfortunately for us, all the leaders on Nantadik aren't fools either, and there is a growing movement toward unification. Jubb has pushed it and pushed it, so that we've been forced to take more and more vigorous steps. The human supremacy groups, made up of such people as the Wanbecks, have been very useful. And of course, Senya Deek has its lunatic fringe too, in reverse, but equally useful. But Jubb started a campaign of petitioning the embassy. He poured it on so hard that Hawtrey knew he wasn't going to be able to pigeonhole all the petitions forever. Furthermore, it was obvious that Jubb knew there must be collusion somewhere and was hammering away to find it. So Hawtrey sent for me. And, said Durham, you said, let's start a war between the two planets. Then unification can't possibly take place and Jubb will have too much on his hands to bother us. Maybe he'll even be eliminated, and you went looking for a goat. Exactly. You were given a message about dark birds that would have significance only to Anantan. The Wanbecks were put on your trail. All you had to do was talk. What if I had talked too much? How could you? You didn't know anything. And Hawtrey's story would be that he had simply given you the passage home, which you had bought. And anyway, said Durham thoughtfully, I would have been either dead in an alley somewhere or aboard a ship going to Nantadik, which I would not have reached. It was a flexible situation. Susan said, Then you admit that you... She could not finish. Morrison turned on her irritably. You very nearly wrecked us, Miss Hawtrey. Durham's disappearance wouldn't have raised a ripple, but the daughter of a highly placed diplomat vanishing was quite another thing. Your father had to think fast and talk faster, or public curiosity would have forced an investigation right then. Fortunately, the Wanbecks helped. They painted a pretty dark picture of Jubb, and Hawtrey was able to smooth things over since everyone knew you'd been sweet on Durham and had obviously gone to say goodbye. Hawtrey did such a good job, in fact, that he had the whole hub seething with indignation against Jubb even before I left. So it turned out well, in spite of you. But why did you have to wreck the ship? Well, we had to get you back. We couldn't let Jubb have Mr. Durham to use as a witness against us, 
And we certainly couldn't let him have Hawtrey's daughter to use as a club over Hawtrey. Now, you see, the situation is this. He nodded to the cabin port beyond which the bright flare had come and gone, leaving nothing but emptiness. There's nothing left of the ship but Adams, and no one can say what happened to it. Job does not have you two, but he can't prove it as long as you're kept out of sight. So we keep you out of sight, and at the same time press demands to Jub for your return. It looks as though he's hiding you, or has killed you, in fear of the storm he has raised. The more he doesn't give you up, the more human opinion turns against him, and the more his own people figure he's made them nothing but trouble. Meanwhile, the Wanbecks are on their way home with a big story. We can still have our war if we want. And Jub's days are numbered. Durham said slowly, What if he decides to use the bitter star? Morrison stared at him and then laughed. Don't try to frighten me with my own boogeyman. I took a story a thousand years old and resurrected it and talked it up until it caught. But that's all it is. A story. Are you sure? And what about the dark birds? They seem to get around. Won't they tell Jub where we are? He'd have a hard time proving it on the word of a shadow. Besides, there are defenses against them. They won't interfere. I suppose, said Durham, taking the bottle into his hand as though to pour again, that it wouldn't bother you to know that one of them is in here now. Morrison did not take his eyes from Durham's face. Hawtrey made a stinking choice in you. Put down that bottle. Durham grinned. He raised the bottle higher and chanted, Jub, Jub, Jub. Morrison said between his teeth, This would have had to be done anyway. Still watching Durham, he reached one swift hand into the belt of his tunic. Susan made a muffled cry and started to get up. None of the motions were finished. A shadow came out from the darkness of a corner behind Morrison's chair. It flicked against him and he fell across the table, quite still. The dark bird came and hung in the air in front of Durham. Jab, it said. Durham put down the bottle and wiped the sweat off his forehead. He looked at the dark bird, feeling cold and hollow. I want to go to him. You understand? To Jub. Up and down it bounced, like the nodding of a head. Susan said, What are you going to do? Try and steal a lifeboat. I'm going with you. No. Morrison doesn't want to kill you, but don't push him too far. You stay. Then, if I don't make it, you'll still be... He broke off. That's taking a lot for granted, isn't it? After all, Hawtrey is your father. She whispered, I don't care. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. Don't make it too fast. He kissed her. Besides, if you wait, you may not have to make it at all. He took Morrison's gun and went out, and the dark bird went with him bunched small and darting so swiftly that the two men it struck down never saw it. 
Durham turned aside into the communications room, and the dark bird saw to it there was no alarm. He damaged radio and radar so it would take some time to fix them. Then he went on down the corridor to the plainly marked hatch that led to lifeboat number one. He got into it with the dark bird. As soon as the boat hatch itself was shut, automatic relays blew him free of the pod on a blast of air. Jab, said the dark bird. It touched him, and to his amazement there was no shock, only a chilly tingling that was not unpleasant. Then it simply oozed out through the solid hull, the way smoke oozes through a filter, and was gone. Durham had no time for any more astonishments. The controls of the lifeboat were designedly very simple and plainly marked. Durham got himself going and away from Morrison's ship as fast as he could, but he knew that it wasn't going to be anything like fast enough if the dark bird didn't hurry. It hurried, and Durham was closer to Senyadik than he realized. In less than three hours, he was in touch with the planetary patrol ship, following it toward the green blaze of KL-421 and a dim, cool planet that circled it further out than the orbit of Earth around Sol, but not quite so far as Mars. End of Section 6